Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. What does it mean to be obedient? If you think about the word obedient, what does you think of to obey, right? It means to be submissive to somebody else's authority. That's what it means to be obedient. Now, if you think of the opposite of obedient, it's what? Disobedient, right? So you see these two, either one or the other, either obedient or you're disobedient. And thinking about like how we act and what we do, what does that look like? You know, as a child, when I was younger, I was definitely more disobedient. So I would ask you, because I want to know, honestly, how many of you would say that when you were younger, you were a disobedient child? All right. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Disobedience is something that as we grow, we learn to become obedient. You know, there was, I had a, a brother who was four years younger than me, and I would torment him, and I would do things, and I look back to, like, what was I thinking, the things I used to, he would have a sippy cup, and, like, I would put things in it, like, to, like, gross him out, and I thought that that was funny, and my parents would get so mad, they're like, listen, you, this is like, you could poison him, and I'm like, oh, that's true, I didn't even think about that, and I was just, I would think it was funny just to be like, oh, you know, for him to taste it, but I was disobedient. Well, as I got older, I began to realize that uh, as you are obedient, the easier things get. Like this concept came later in life that I realized that if I listen to my parents and I do what they say, life is much better. Like, and as you go through that and you start to understand what the positive implications of obedience are, it it changes the way you look at everything. I remember when I was... uh, I got mad because I was at home and I was tired of listening to my parents' rules. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm moving out. That's it. And I was like 10 years old. So I packed up a bag, a big duffel bag, and stuffed all my essentials in it. I'd be curious to see what was in there, actually. And I walked out. And I actually walked out to the end of the sidewalk, stood there, and I'm like, I'm going. And I got there, and I'm like, where am I going? Like, I have no idea what I'm going to do here. And then I decided it was much better to live in obedience and staying with my parents. And the way that was. Now, as I became a parent, I began to see, like, why can't my, ch- my own children understand the importance of being obedient in what they do? Like, it would be much easier. Don't they understand? As a father, I love them, so I want them to, I want what's best for them, so I just want them to be obedient. And if you've ever had, a, like, a, a two-year-old, and you know this feeling, like you're having a showdown, like you're, it's like you look at them, and they're like, and you're like, don't touch that, don't touch that, and they look at you, and they're like, and they just reach out and they touch it. It's like, it's like a showdown between parent and child. And you're like, ah! Oh! And that used to make me so frustrated because I hated disobedience uh, when it came to children. Now, when I was here for many years, now I've been at the church for 20, going on 20 years now. And um, early on, I realized that my kids were disobedient here at the church. Like, I had no idea. Like, we're talking, like, serious disobedience. Like, the right boys, like, had a reputation. Like, teachers quit because of the right boys, which I didn't know. Like, and even later on, like, even things were happening. Like, I just thought they were angels. Like, I had these glasses on, I guess, that just didn't see the way that they actually were, that they were disobedient. Many years later, 
uh, after we blended our family together, there, there came a time when there was out back of the church here, somebody had been painting, and I remember this very vividly, that there was paint left out back there. And all of our boys went out there and decided it'd be fun to throw rocks into the paint. Like, wow, why not? Let's do that. That would be fun. And the paint, of course, splattered up on the back of the church and on everything that was there. And Mama Des heard this, and there was like steam came out of her ears. And I can tell you, she, expressed, she taught these boys the importance of obedience at that time and continued to do that in a way that I am so grateful for her. So now I say those stories because I like to bring those up to parents because I want you to have hope. Because I know that kids, as disobedient as they can be, I mean, today I get the opportunity to send off my son who is now going to another church in ministry. And what a blessing that is. But he was disobedient when he was younger. But now he has been obedient in what he does. So I want you to think about obedience and disobedience when it comes to your faith and what that looks like. Um, in your walk with Jesus, if you are a believer here today uh, in your relationship with the Father, are you obedient in what you are doing? Just like... A father knows what's best, right? I knew what's best for my kids, so I want them to be obedient. God, our Father, wants what's, he wants us to be obedient in what we do, and we need to trust that. Um, today, as we continue in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we see more examples of the heroes of faith. Uh, the author, author gives examples, and the readers uh, learn from what they can see from them and like emulate who they are. And we see what? Great obedience in, uh, from these patriarchs that we are going to go through today. Um, now, if you're joining us here for the first time today, we are preaching through the book of Hebrews. Now, this is our chance to study through an entire book. And if you're joining us here, I just want to give you a little of context. So if we look, because it's so important. So if we look at the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. Uh, we do know that it was uh, uh, written to uh, Jewish Christians who were struggling. They were going back to the rituals and traditions of Judaism. And what he was trying to do is get across the supremacy of Jesus and who Jesus is. That he is above Moses. He is above rituals and traditions. And at this point, he is switching over and showing examples of faith uh, by looking at these different people. We know that they were educated, what, in the Old Testament because he constantly goes back to Scripture and quotes it as we've gone through this book, and now we get to see these beautiful stories uh, of people, of early Christians. So uh, today as we go back into the Old Testament Scripture, we see great examples of faith to help these believers to understand how foundational what their faith is. These heroes of faith are great examples. Uh, they uh, they're people who showed their faith to God in extraordinary circumstances. And, but I want to say none of them are perfect. And that is so important to remember. A lot of times we look at the Bible and we think, well, everyone in the Bible is perfect. Well, no. Actually, if you study and learn uh, the Bible, you see that there's only one who was perfect. And many of these patriarchs were very flawed in who they were. But we can learn from their great examples in faith as we go through this. Last week, we saw the first three examples of the heroes of, heroes of faith, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Abel worshipped by faith, Enoch walked by faith, and Noah worked by faith, as we went through last week. Now, remember, as we continue uh, through chapter 11, 
we have seen a big shift from chapters 1 through 10, talked about the supremacy of Jesus and who he is. And we learned about the tabernacle and what that looks like and what a picture that is of Jesus who the great high priest is. Well, now we see a shift because they are all about works. Well, what he wants to do is explain what is important. It's all about faith. It's not about the works. And so this is a new concept as they continue to learn and understand what faith is. And that is why they take him to the heroes of faith as we go through this. So last week, our big idea was believers are to live by faith. And our next step was to grow in faith as we talked about what that looks like, and we should never stop growing. Each of us here needs to continue to grow in our faith. No matter where we are, we need to continue to grow. <clears throat> this week, we see the author move as we, it was pre-flood, as we talked about them, and now we go to after the flood. And we're going to be looking at four generations as we go through here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These are referred to as the patriarchs. Uh, starting with the father of faith, Abraham. Now, why is he known as the father? Well, we're going to talk about that today as we get into the text. But none of these patriarchs got to see the fulfillment of God's plan. That's a very important thing to think about, to see that they lived by faith but never got to see the fulfillment of God's plan. We see lives lived by faith, extraordinary living, um, and we should pay close attention to what we can learn from these examples. Remember, we can all learn from their example. Um, now, as we look at how they lived by faith, it is clear that they were what? They were obedient in what they did. They were obedient in their actions. Over and over, these patriarchs were obedient. They obeyed what God had commanded for them to do. So what is our big idea this week? Our big idea is this. Living by faith requires obedience. Living by faith requires obedience. A life that is lived by faith cannot live without being obedient to God. If you're going to live by faith, you have to be obedient. Those two go together. So you cannot be disobedient and live by faith. So the author goes to the grand poobah or the, like, the big daddy. He is the one that all of the the these people would have understand who he was, right? And that is Abraham. He was the founder of faith and a life that shows obedience in so many ways. Uh, Abraham is the hero that they would have looked at and would have most looked up to. Um, and that's why the author shows these examples. So as we go on, let's look at how Abraham and the patriarchs were obedient in their faith. So let's start in verses 8, and we're going to do 8 through 10. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was not to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he, was, where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So the first thing that we see here, the first thing mentioned by the author is what? By faith, Abraham obeyed. And that, this obedience is going to be the theme as we go through this. By faith, Abraham obeyed. 
So what I want to do is go to Genesis, and if you can, I want to see these accounts as we read through them. So I want you to turn to Genesis 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 to see what it says about Abram, as we see as mentioned here in the text. Starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered. And the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So I want to stop there. So if we look at the difference, last week we kind of left off with Noah, right? So Noah, what is the difference between Noah's faith and Abraham's faith? Well, if you look at the instructions that God gave to Noah, what he gave him very specific instructions, right? He worked by faith, as we talked about, and he knew that God warned him uh, of the flood that was coming and that he needed to build the ark, right? And gave him specific instructions all the way down to the details to how big it was to be, the materials he was supposed to use, all those details he gave in those instructions. Well, when we look at the instructions given to Abraham, he was just told to go. There wasn't specific instructions. He had to go by faith to be obedient to God. This is the difference between the faith of Noah and Abraham. Noah had all the information. Abraham was obedient, though he didn't have all the information. So Abraham had what? Obedience without knowing where. Obedience without knowing where. Now, this is such a great story when you talk about Abraham. This is the beginning of God's chosen people that we see here and what he did starting with a man chosen by God. Now, in where he is located is a pagan area. So his family is pagan, pagan culture, and his family, his father, worshiped false gods. So we see that God kind of chose him out of that area. Nothing he did, and then asked him to go. Now, as I was reading, I thought this was interesting that I never looked at it this way. This is a picture of the Christian life. This is a picture of Christian living in in the sense of that if you look at Abraham, what? He did nothing to deserve it. God chose him, picked him out of a pagan culture, told him to go, and he lived as what? Uh, A nomad, a stranger in a strange land with the promise of a land that was to come. Just like us as believers, what? We go to God. Well, he chooses us, and then as we believe in him, we live a life as strangers on this earth. And what we are looking forward to, what is to come. And that is an eternity with him. What a beautiful picture. And I saw that in my studies. I thought that was so important. So God gives him instructions without all the information. Now, I want you to think there is great danger in what he's doing. Because if you look at it, you think, oh, well, it's like, it's a vacation. Well, they're living in tents and they're moving around. No. This was, there was danger in leaving and and it took trust for them to go and to do this. It was not a vacation because he didn't know where he was going. He was just being obedient in the where. 
So God said, go to the land and I will show you. But he first had to go. So I want to go to Acts 7. This is a, a speech that Stephen gave. And this was, Stephen gives this beautiful speech um, right before he gets stoned, uh, talking about his faith. And in verses 2 through 4, he mentions Abraham in this. So I'd like to read this, starting in verse 2. It says, And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out of your land and from your kindred and go into the land I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Now what that kind of gives us a little more insight to what is going on in the journey of Abraham. Now, he was learning as he went. This was instructions to go, and God would give him instructions as he went. He was listening for God's direction. Now, as I came to find out, as I studied this week, that uh, Haran, or Haran was in the opposite way of Canaan. So he actually went the opposite way, lived for five years, and then, following God's direction, went the correct way. Abraham, living by faith, was obedient in what he did. He followed God's direction without knowing where. So if we look at this example, if we're trying to learn from these heroes of faith, how are we to follow this example without knowing the where? We need to trust in God's direction. Just like Abraham, we need to trust in God's direction. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. And I look at today of all days, it was, it's interesting how Scripture lines up and you get to speak. And on today, we got to send Seth and Gabby. So for first service, we got to pray with them, and then he is going to serve in student ministry. Now, as a, a pastor who got, I've been in student ministry now for 10 years. And when I got into student ministry, I didn't know the where. I didn't know what, I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't expecting, you know, this is what I see. This is what I want to happen. But I just started doing student ministry. I started being obedient when I did. I started loving students. I started, you know, teaching other students as they got older what it means to lead. I was just obedient as I went. And now I get to see Seth, who gets to go off to another church, and he is excited. And you know why he's excited? I talked to him about this. He's excited because he gets to start a student ministry and build it up. So building the kingdom and what he's doing. But he doesn't know the where, like he doesn't have expectations. He's just going to go there and be obedient in what he is doing without knowing the outcome and that, without knowing if it's going to be a big youth group in, you know, 10 years without knowing. It's a great example of trusting in God's direction. I, I had the opportunity to go this week in, and meet with a young couple, and they have this beautiful newborn baby that they are fostering. Now, they have wanted to foster and uh, with the hopes of someday adopting, but they said that to be obedient to God, what they want to do is foster. Now, they got the call this week that this baby was, was coming, was being born, and the living conditions were not good. So them being obedient say, okay, well, we will, the, the adoption or the foster agency called them, and they said, yes, we will step into this. We will do this. They don't know the where. They don't know where this is going to go. They don't know if they're going to be able to adopt this baby. They don't know if the baby's going to be with them for two weeks and then have to go somewhere else. But they're being obedient in their daily lives and what they are doing. To see that, 
It was not easy, though, because already as they have got this baby, they are loving this baby, and they're already saying, we want to adopt this baby, but we don't know what's going to happen. So it can be scary. If you think about the Smiths, our mission family who is overseas, as they have left, they have had to go there not knowing what to expect, but willing to share the gospel. They are being obedient in what they are doing. So it can be scary. So I would ask, do you trust in God's direction in your life? Do you trust in God's direction? So I want to say this. Trusting in God's direction is not an emotion. Because this is the kind of thing that I struggle with and I think other people struggle with too. We want to feel something, right? If God is moving, we want to feel it. Like, today I'm excited and I want to do this. I think God is moving me to do that. Well, I want to encourage you that it is not about emotion. A lot of times we, we will put emotion in a place where it kind of runs where we go. Now, I think that we can get emotional over things God is doing in our life. Absolutely. But I don't think you should let emotion, we say this in counseling, drive the train. In your life, if you're letting something drive the train, there's truth and there's emotion. You always go with the truth. All right? Truth over emotion. Because emotions can fail us. We can be happy as can be one day, and the next day we can be like, well, I don't feel like that, so... Well, I guess if I don't feel it, then God's, God's not wanting me to do it. That's not how it works. You need to go to God's word. You need to go to other counsel. You need to talk to people. You need to be in prayer about these things to see and to seek God's direction. One thing that uh, Raleigh has talked about in our leadership meetings is hold loosely. And he said this phrase to me, and I thought, man, that's good. Because I'm like, what does that mean to hold loosely? That means like if you are following God's will, like and you are following a, a path or you, a direction, you want to hold tight to it, right? Because that's the way I want to go. But holding loosely means that this gives the opportunity for God to change direction. So if you are listening to God, and he's like, well, I want you to go this way. Just like Abraham went to Haran, and it's like, no, that's not the way. Okay, well, now I'm going to go this way. It's hold loosely because you want to be aware and listen for God's direction in what you are doing. I came across this quote this, this week, and I thought this was so good. Uh, Faithful in the present because of what God will do in the future. Faithful in the present. This is a good picture of Abraham and the patriarchs. They're faithful in the present because why? Because of what God will do in the future. And that's how we need to live. We need to be obedient on a daily basis because of what God will do in the future. And that ultimately is our eternity. When we're looking where our hope is, it is in our eternity. All right, let's go on. Verses 11 and 12. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, the author here, as he goes through, we see that this, the promise that was given to Abraham, that he will become a great nation, right? But How? Well, as we look at that, we see that there was a concern here. Because what? Because of their age, how old they were. It says that she was past the age, and I love the way it says this, that he was as good as dead. You know, when you think about that, that pretty much sums up how he feels and what they think about uh, having a child at this point. So let's go to Genesis 17. I want to read 
verses 15 and 16. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. King of peoples shall come from her. What a beautiful thing that God is doing here. Like, he is also Abram to Abraham and promised Abraham the great nations will come from him. And using Sarah also here we see, by faith Sarah herself received the power to conceive. Sarah was blessed by God. Sarah, who actually laughed when she overheard what God wanted to do and then denied it because she's like, oh, I didn't laugh, because she didn't know how this could happen in her age. But she went from that disbelief or doubt or mockery to what? Faith. She went to faith. So Abraham and Sarah had what? Obedience without knowing how. Obedience without knowing how. They didn't know how it could happen. It was not possible in their minds. Like, how could we have a baby? That just doesn't make sense to us. So you contrast the hopeless that he is good as dead, right, to what God promised out of that. And the many who would come about and the many who would live. This beautiful picture of stars in the sky and grains of sand on the shore. Like, it's, you can't even count the number because it's so many. Such a beautiful thing. But they didn't know how. How was this going to happen? Romans 4, 18 through 22. Paul is saying this to the church in Rome. He talks about this. It says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. You see that example that Paul is giving there about the faith that Abraham had. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says that no unbelief made him waver. This is the kind of example that we need to see. He grew strong in faith as he gave, what, God the glory. And he was fully convinced. That is trust. He is trusting God. That is faith. And we see that example in what he is doing. So how are we to be obedient when we don't know the how? Well, we can trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. He will provide. If it is his will that it will happen, he will make a way. And that is what we have to understand. Trust in God to provide a way. So if we believe that God is sovereign, we talk about God being sovereign. What does that mean? That means he is in control of everything. Nothing happens outside of his control. Um, if he is in control of everything, wouldn't it make sense that if it is his will, he will make it happen? So that is where we need to go. We need to trust in God will provide when we pray for those things, if it is his will. So I would ask, do you trust that God will provide? Do you put that trust in him? Trust in his provision? 
Because a lot of times we don't. Because we want to do it ourselves. We want to figure out different ways how we can do it. And that's the downfall of Abraham that we saw. They said, well, hey, we're supposed to have a child. God says it's going to happen. We don't understand how. So we're going to try a different route and try this way. That was not God's will. That was not his plan that he had given them. But he works all things according to his good. And actually, he blessed that in the end. Trust in God's provision. All right, let's go on. Verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now we see there, I want to focus on that last, (laughs) that's such an unbelievable thing there. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Like to think of that and the power of that statement, that he is not ashamed to be called their God because of their faith in what they have done, for he's prepared for them a city. Faith was the dominant characteristic that we see through the patriarchs to the end of their days. They had faith in what was to come. Uh, It was seen from afar. They talk about these promises, greeted and seen from afar. If you think about greeting something, right, think about what that looks like. A greeting would be like a handshake or a hug or something like that, but they were greeting from afar. The, the text kind of leans to like, it's like a sailor at shore, like waving to somebody or saluting something. It's like greeting from afar in that way. It says that they were strangers and exiles living in tents as nomads without a home. We have to remember that those were the circumstances that they were living in. So let's see. What did they have? They had obedience without knowing when. They had obedience without knowing when. They didn't know when the promises would come about, but they were obedient in what they did. Strangers in a strange land. Imagine having no home. Like, I love my home. I love to go home, right? At the end of a long day, you go home. It's where you can relax. It's, it's where the people you love are, and it's comfortable there. That's what I think about when I think of home. I'm so grateful for my home. Now think about them without a home, right, living in tents, moving from place to place. They were strangers. They were exiles. They had obedience without knowing when. Now, as an exile, they experienced, and I want you to think about this too, they, had, they experienced humiliation and contempt, like they were looked down on because of what they did. So remember, it wasn't a vacation they were on as they traveled around the tents. They were looked down on for who they were and what they did. But through all that, they were obedient. John 8, uh, verses 56 through 58. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This is Jesus speaking. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That statement is so powerful in what he was saying there. There's so much in that in saying that when he says that before Abraham was, I am, it's talking about that he is talking about his deity, that he is God. Because who is the I am? That is the Father. 
that is Yahweh. So you're seeing before Abraham, remember, they looked to Abraham as the hero. Before Abraham was, I am. But there at the beginning, the first verse, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would what? See my day. Like he was looking ahead. He greeted it in the future. And he was obedient in that. All right, so when we can uh, be obedient when we don't, how can we be obedient when we don't know when? We can trust in God's timing. Trust in God's timing. Now, I fully admit that is so hard to do to trust in God's timing. Why? Because it takes patience. We want things right now. Right? And we don't understand why it's not happening right now. Well, we have to trust in God's timing, patience and waiting for God and what he is doing and for his will to be done. Imagine the patience and waiting they did in faith. They had a perspective towards what? Their heavenly home. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who, hope, for who hopes for what is, he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. A beautiful verse there that, that Paul is giving. But what is it talking about? We wait for it with what? With patience. For it is hope that we do not. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Right? It's that same thing that we see from Abraham. That hope that is there. And we wait for it with patience. Now being content with uh, a heavenly perspective should be our goal in what we do. Right? But we get impatient. We don't want to wait. We want God to work in our lives. Uh, I came across this psalm, which is such a beautiful psalm. Psalm 37, 7, it says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I'm going to read that again and let that sink in. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. We even see a contrast there of something that is happening uh, with somebody else who prospers, who, who carries out evil deeds and devices. But what is it saying? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Trust in God's timing. So I'd ask, are you still before the Lord? Are you waiting patiently? Or do you want things in your own timing? They were obedient even without knowing when. So I'd ask you, have you ever had to wait on God? Has there ever been something in your life, an instance that was put there, and you're like, I don't understand. Like, why is this not happening? Then years later, you look back and you say, oh, I see why. I see why. I would love to hear your stories if that has happened to you. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. All right, as we move on, verses 17 through 19. Now we go from general comments about the patriarchs, and then he goes into this, this supreme example of faith uh, with Abraham and Isaac. So 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, speaking of this test that Abraham 
receive. This was a remarkable example of faith where we see the sacrifice of Isaac and what he had to go through. So I want to read this account in Genesis because I think it's very important. So if you would turn to Genesis 22, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 so you can see how this story unfolds and what happened with Abraham. Starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So notice right there, he is listening and he is attentive to what God is asking him to do. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So I want to stop there for a second because I want to let the weight of that, what is asked, sink in. So he says, take your son, your only son. Now, actually, we know that Abraham does have another son, but it's not the son that was promised as the heir to the chosen people that he was telling the promises were coming. So that is why he says, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. So he asked him to give him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I shall tell you. Now, at this point, we don't know Abraham's reaction. We don't know if he's like, wait, what? I mean, that's how I'd be. I'd be like, are you? Because everything you've told me, God, up to this point was the promise and was going through him. So why would you ask me to take Isaac and sacrifice him? That doesn't make sense to me. So starting in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now notice what he said. They're going to go over there and worship. I think that's important to point out. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it. In his hand, the fire and the knife. So they, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You see what is happening here. You see that his faith is, has to be strong as he goes through this and what he's believing and following and being obedient to what God is asking him to do. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, I can't imagine the faith it took for him to go through with that and do what he did. What a fantastic example of faith. I mean, I have trouble punishing my own children and when they get in trouble it's like I ground them and then like a week later I'm like okay well you know but to have this kind of faith and to know what the promise is and to know what you physically have to do would be so hard hard on two accounts number one 
Everything rides on Isaac, right? That's where the promise is coming from. This is what God promised him. And number two, as a father, to have to kill your son. What kind of faith to be obedient to him? So what do we see here? Abraham had obedience without knowing why. Abraham had obedience without knowing why. He was obedient to God's plan even without fully understanding. He didn't understand why this was happening, but he was obedient in it. Why would he kill the only way to fulfill the promise? Well, we see the answer that the author of Hebrews said, he had faith that God would raise him from the dead. The sacrifice of Isaac pointed to God providing a sacrifice through his perfect son. The story of the sacrifice of Isaac is so beautiful. And actually, we could do a whole sermon just around that and the picture that it paints of how God intervened and what? He has the perfect sacrifice. And that is a picture of his son. So how can we be obedient when we don't know the why? Well, we can trust in God's plan. Trust in God's plan. That is the only way when we don't know the why is to trust in his plan. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. See, that, I'm going to stop there. That is the key because if I was Abraham, I would be like, okay, wait a minute. From my understanding here, the promise is going to happen this way, so you're asking me to do this so it doesn't make sense. What is Proverbs saying here? Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. We must trust God's plan. But we always think we can do it on our own. We always think that we have the right answers and that we can do it. But then there's this picture of suffering and sacrifice that we go through in our circumstances, right? You know, I've been to funerals and I've seen and I've talked to people who are going through traumatic events right now. And it's like, why? I don't understand the why of it. But if you believe God's sovereign and he is in control, you be obedient day by day in what you need to do to follow him. You need to trust in God's plan. All right. Verses 20 and 22, as we, as we move on here. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, as we go here, and what he is doing is this showing this continuation of faith in the four generations of, of what is going on here. Um, it's a continuing account of the four generations showing obedience in faith. So by Isaac giving his blessing to Jacob, I want to read that. Let's read in Genesis, Genesis 27, 27. It says, See, the smell of my son is, the, is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, if you know this story, you look at this story and you see something that happens here and you kind of makes you say, why? Like, why did this happen? So Esau and Jacob, two sons, Esau was older. But Jacob deceives his father 
and steals the birthright. Steals the blessing from his father. And we look at that, and we look at that circumstance, and we're like, okay, why? Why is that? But you see, God has a plan, and God has a purpose in what he is doing. And he uses a situation to put forth his plan. We also see, if you go through uh, the story of Joseph, so Jacob has his sons, and then we see deception from the brothers who lie about Joseph, right, and tell him that he's dead, and Joseph is sold into slavery. This whole time he is being obedient, but we see him going through suffering and trials and all these things that he is going through. All of these circumstances, and we see obedience in their faith and what they are doing. So through these generations, what do we see? We see obedience in spite of circumstances. Obedience in spite of circumstances. In these circumstances, if they don't make sense, what do we do? We trust in God's promises. We trust in his promises. He is faithful. All of this points to their faith in God's promises. Faith in what, what was to come. And he fulfills his promises through what? The coming of his son and our Savior, our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Our circumstances can be hard in what we're going through. And you may be asking why. I don't know why. The circumstance, I don't understand it. And this comes back to the suffering and the sickness that we see, all a result of sin in a fallen world. But in spite of our circumstances, we need to show obedience in our faith in what we do. Yes, we have suffering. Yes, we have sickness. Joseph was sold into slavery, but he was obedient. And we see how God used that in his story and what he did. All right, so as we have gone through today, we have seen the amazing obedience of Abraham and the patriarchs. Obedience that we look at and we're like, how did they do that? How can we be obedient like they were obedient? Obedience with not knowing, without knowing where, where he was going. Obedience without knowing how, didn't know how it was going to happen. Obedience without knowing when, they didn't know when the promises would be fulfilled. Obedience without knowing why, as he sacrificed, as he was ready to sacrifice Isaac. Amazing, obedient faith in spite of the circumstances. It is all about trust in God. It's all about trusting God. So what is our next step? Our next step is to something that's so short, but not that easy. Our next step is give up control. Give up control. We all want control. And I know some people are sitting here and they're like, I'm a control freak. Like, if something, like, I have to have control over this or my life or, like, I'm telling you, give it up. Give up control. If you're a Christ follower, We need to give up control. We need to first surrender to Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, we always want to talk about the gospel and what that means. That means a surrender control. It means giving up control to him. He is the only way, right? We are born into a sinful world. We are born sinners, right? We are separated because of the fall from our righteous heavenly father. And there's only one way that we can be restored, and that is through the perfect sacrifice of the only one who was perfect. He gave his blood, died on the cross, so we could have that relationship restored. He is the, the true high priest. 
He's the great high priest. He's the only one who could do that. But you have to give up control. You have to surrender to him. You have to let him be Lord. That is what it means. So I'd encourage you, if you're here today and you have not surrendered or you haven't given up control, I would say today make that a priority. I'd love to talk to you. love to pray with you about it and see what that looks like. If you feel like you're trying to hold on and you're trying to control everything and you're like, it's just not working. Like, I'm trying to control everything, but it is like these circumstances are just taking me every which way. I'm telling you, give up control. Trust in him. 1 Peter 1.13 and 14 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I like the way Peter says that. He said, you know, prepare your minds. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on Jesus, right? Then verse 14 says, as obedient children, not disobedient, right? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As an obedient child, what do we do? We need to trust in him. Trust in God's directions, right? Trust in God's provision. Trust in God's timing. Trust in his plan. And trust in his promises. But you have to give up control in order to to trust in that way. So I just want to encourage you. If you feel like you have to have control, it's time to give it up and follow his direction. All right, let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just grateful. We want to praise you for who you are and for the truth that we have read today and for the amazing testimonies of the patriarchs. And Father, we see an obedience like no other that we can imagine. And Father, as we live a life in obedience, I pray that you just, that we just give that trust in you. Father, if there's anybody here who has not trusted in your son, our Savior, Father, I pray that you would continue to draw them closer to you. And Father, those of us who are believers, who are followers, Father, I just pray that we continue to give up control to you. And we seek you in all areas of our life, whether it be our work, our relationships, how we live our daily lives, and how we love others. Father, help us to be a light in this world for you. We can only do that through your grace, through your Son. So, Father, we are so grateful for our time together today that we can go through the Word, that we can dive deep into your Word, that we can learn from it and see these examples of heroes so, Father, we love you. We praise you for this time together today. We want to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at Have a blessed day.